Hello, welcome to the Social Life Podcast. I'm Betty. I'm Kayla. And we are so happy that you came to sit with us today. We have so many fun topics that we want to discuss. We're going to go ahead and get started. So as we said in the last episode, we want to do a motivational quote, Bible verse, something of the day. So last week, Kayla shared her motivational quote of the day. I'm going to do it this week. I couldn't figure out which quote to use. I love like a million quotes and every day I find another quote I like, but earlier I feel like the Lord put this in my spirit and it is Esther, the book of Esther in the Bible, Esther 4, 14. So chapter four, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So thank you, Lord, for putting that in my spirit, because I was not even going to go that direction with a quote today. I believe that the Lord wanted me to focus on this particular section of the Bible because he blessed me and Kayla to come together as friends and blessed us with this opportunity to create this podcast. And I feel like this verse is a great reminder that if you remain silent at this time, as it says, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So yeah, in real life, in our life, you know, he's not just talking about the Jews. He's talking about all of his people right now who are listening, whoever he wants to bless through this podcast. If you remain silent, yeah, I'm going to still bring deliverance, relief, my word to my people through another way. But, you know, that is what he wants us to do for this particular podcast. So he's asking us to step up and do that. And then it goes on to say a little later in that section, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And that also reminds me of how, yeah, we're not a princess like Esther. I mean, we are princesses, we're child, children of the king, but like perhaps he has brought us together in this podcast together for such a time as this to spread his word, talk about mental illness, talk about addiction recovery, talk about infertility, whatever it may be that the Lord lays on our heart to speak about. I do believe that this was blessed and brought together by the Lord for such a time as this, this time in history to teach others about the love of Christ and help lead people to know the truth about him. So what do you think about that, Kayla? I thought that was a really cool verse. I think that's beautiful. And I think it's important that everybody finds our voice, especially during this time. You know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So to be vocal in your faith, be vocal in the love that you have for humanity is just so important right now. I agree. And we encourage all of our listeners to just pray and ask God, what has he put in you? What gifts and talents and blessings that he has in you that he has put there for such a time as this during this time in history? What does he want from you? What is the Lord asking of you? So I would pray and ask that he reveals that to you. We'll continue to do the same. It's just very interesting to think about. Thank you so much for that, Betty. You're welcome. So do you want to switch gears, talk about TV? 
Yeah, so let's switch gears a little bit. What have you been watching on TV? <sighs> okay. <laughs> so I haven't been watching like anything too, too exciting. I've been watching, I was on reality TV. I was watching The Family Chantel. But that ended. I didn't know that it even ended. I thought we were going to have another episode, but that's gone. That's like a spinoff from 90 Day Fiance. This past week or two, I've been watching Aladdin on Disney Plus a million times. I watched the Will Smith version, the Robin Williams version. Lucas can't get enough of Aladdin. Last month, it was The Lion King. So a lot of Aladdin. I never realized how relaxing Aladdin actually is. And this makes me want to watch Aladdin. You have to. You have to. <laughs> Do you I watch the animated version or the live action version? Both. I watch both. He likes both. I think he likes the animated version better. Like, I think he can tell that it's a cartoon. But he'll watch the other one, too. My man. I love him. Did you see the live action version? Yes, I did. And I thought it was pretty good. I love Disney and the way that they're able to bring to life, you know, those classics from our childhood. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people... I, th I think that they were saying something about Will Smith being the genie, but honestly, I think he did a great job. And then he, he was hilarious as the genie. And don't, I wouldn't watch that one expecting him to be Robert Williams. They're so different, you know, and who they are as entertainers. But for Will Smith to be the genie coming after Robin Williams, he did a great job. Those are some big shoes to fill. And to, you know, just point that out, the coming into it with the appropriate expectations. Like, obviously, he is not Robin Williams, but he brings something unique to this role that he else has. And I, I really think that Will Smith was such a good choice for that role. I do, too. I, I would have never thought of that choice, but it worked out good. It's on my list to watch tonight. What do you have? So as far as my TV consumption, I am a law and order junkie. So I've been mm -hmm. watching Special Victims Unit, of course, and then um, Organized Crime. Now, Special Victims Unit, it's a classic. Um, they, of course, explore like different crimes that have to do with like, you know, sexual orient and everything. And um, I don't know. I like the way that they touch on social issues. Like the most recent episode talked on uh, pedophilia. And the way that pedophilia turns into a cycle. And I just like really, really like the, the, um, the social education element to Law and Order. Now, aside from that, in terms of reality TV, I watched that Teen Mom family reunion. And let me just tell you, Betty, it was a hot ratchet mess and I could not look away from it. Have you seen it yet? No, I've heard about it. What is Teen Mom Family Reunion? Is it like like Jersey Shore Family Reunion? <laughs> Honestly, it feels more like the Jersey Shore than Teen Mom. Um, okay. they invited they invited everybody from the past couple seasons, and a handful of them responded, and they came, and they're living in a house together, and they're exploring like all sorts of like emotional issues and different social issues that they've dealt with throughout their time on Teen Mom, and. It's really interesting. Like the one thing that I don't like about it is that they're just drunk like the whole time. So they've been drinking all the time. And another thing I didn't like is they didn't invite my girl Mackenzie McKee. Now, McKee, I do believe she is more on the conservative side, conservative Christian side. And I can't help but to wonder if that had anything to do with her 
well, pardon me, the network's choice to leave her out. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, according to Facebook hot gossip, everybody was invited, but Mackenzie was told that the reunion wasn't happening. So that, you know, definitely is a huge letdown, but I am excited to see which direction the season takes us. Hmm. Well, keep me updated. I did not watch Teen Mom. I don't have MTV. So I haven't watched Teen Mom. The last time I watched Teen Mom, I think Kaylin and Hobby were just getting divorced. That was a hot minute ago. (laughs) I think that was the last time I've had cable or MTV. I might need to get you hit via my Hulu login. Oh, is it on Hulu? It is. Oh, I have Hulu. I didn't know it was on there. Check it out. See what you think about it. Okay. It's really interesting. Okay. All right. Now, Betty, how many kids do you want? Uh, good question. Okay. So I wanted always at least one kid. Now that I'm getting older, I'm thinking that I want one to three. Like me and my husband for sure want another one boy girl we don't care we at least want one more for lucas to have somebody to grow up with and play with you know and i really want to be pregnant again i really enjoyed it but after we have our second one we'll see do we want a third do we not we're both open to it but like i don't know it's just so hard to say until you're like you know in that moment to move forward i feel like i have to have a second baby first to know for sure i think it's beautiful how open you are and your desire for for Lucas to have somebody to grow up with. I think that's amazing. Thank you. What about you? So, okay, check this out. I've got two now, of course, but if you walk through my house at any point in time during the weekend, you'd probably think I had like four to five kids. So mm-hmm. kids are just a huge part of my life. Like between my, my sons, my niece, my nephew, they're together at least four to five times per week between my house and my mom's. Um, I often feels like I have a lot more children than I actually do. Now, when it comes to future children, it truly depends on the day. Some days Mm -hmm. I for another child around, you know, age 29, 30, 31 years old. Other days I want to have a change of life, baby, when I'm like 40, 45. I've been a mom my whole life and I like a good job and I, you know, I couldn't imagine my life not raising a child. So I almost hope I do have a change of life, baby. What are your thoughts on that? Wait, what's a change of life, baby? A change of life, baby, is one that comes to you when you are well past that childbearing age. Think like 40, 42, 45. I think it would be amazing. Like by that point, my kids will be almost grown. And it would be a lot like starting over, but for some reason, mm-hmm. it's always been on my heart to have another child when I'm just a little bit older, a little bit more established, a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like that's going to come to me in the form of that change of life, baby. I think you're going to, you want to get me your, your guess for me. I, I think you're going to have four kids. Do you think so? Mm-hmm wild I might have to drop like one or two of them off at your house yeah right right (laughs) exactly um I feel like I could see you with four kids I don't know why it just feels right for you I mean I might adopt even 
especially as I get closer to like 40 and it becomes a little bit more risky to have a pregnancy. I don't, I, I, I just know that for the time being, I do want to focus on the two I have and, you know, the, the extra two I have half the week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once my babies get grown and they don't need me as much anymore, I'm probably going to start over. Yeah. It's smart that you're focusing on the ones that you have now. I love that. I just can't imagine myself not actively raising a child in some capacity. Okay. So I started way later than you. I was 28 when I got pregnant with my son, Lucas. So I, I feel like I can. Me and my husband were married for like seven years, I think, before we had Lucas. So I feel like it's like such a normal thought to me to have like our house empty again one day. But you started so young. That's why I think you probably feel like that. I would agree with that. I just, like I said, I just can't imagine it. Yeah. Whole life has been being a mom from the time I was adulthood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hopefully, you know, maybe if I don't carry my own, you know, my own pregnancy, I'll be able to at least adopt or foster or something. That's, that's what I hope God has in the cards for me as I, you know, near closer to middle age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Adoption. Or fostering, fostering as a whole, you know, how amazing it would be to have the opportunity to foster like a child with developmental disabilities, like my son has, or maybe even a child from a couple who is affected by addiction, you know, just, it's just a little bit of time, you know, on those front lines. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. I thought about that. I really did before we had Lucas, I thought about everything, adoption, foster care I was open to all of that and I'm still not opposed but it's not something that I've really thought about since I've had Lucas so I think that I was just thinking all those thoughts because I just was so desperate to have a baby that I just was like okay like what other options you know yeah Mm -hmm. I can see you with a little girl I think God still has a little girl in the cards for you your soul seems to me like it would be that of a girl mom I I agree. Yeah, I I think, okay, so ever since I had Lucas, as soon as I got pregnant with him, I mean, and found out that I was pregnant, I thought, it's a girl. And my husband was like, it's a girl. Like, my whole family was like, it's a girl. Just because I think I grew up with a girl mom and like an all-girl household, so automatically my mind felt like I was going to have a girl. As that first trimester went on, I remember thinking, this is a boy. And it was... (laughs) We, we all started having that feeling, me and my mom, at least, and my husband, too. So I wonder when I get pregnant again, like, am I going to have that feeling and just know? Like, I just knew Lucas was a boy. Isn't it insane, that sense of tuition, you, intuition, rather, that you get when you're pregnant? Now, mm-hmm. I was convinced, super crazy convinced that Chico was a girl because of how different my pregnancy was with him. Mm-hmm. And not he was a boy I was completely surprised but not shocked <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a boy mama I think I might have to adopt my little girl no I feel like I could definitely see you having okay here's my predictions I think you're gonna have four kids you'll probably have one more boy adopter give birth and the same one uh, one little girl I think you're gonna have three boys and a girl when it's all said and done 
I hope my baby I have when I'm like 40 is a girl. So I'm all well established and I have my, yeah. I like bows, tutus, and dresses and stuff. <laughs> everybody will spoil her, all her brothers and everybody. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody remember this. Keep note of this. <laughs> Kayla had three boys and a girl. I guessed it first. Okay. You're so wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so we are going to learn a lot from Kayla today. She has a lot of experience learning over the past five years, right, Kayla, about autism and getting the blessing of her little boy to learn more about autism and go through this journey of life with him. So Kayla, I have some questions for you. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. I'm still learning about autism. I don't know a lot about it. All I know mainly is what I hear in the media, maybe a little bit of what I read online. Most of the stuff I've learned so far is from you. What is autism? Like when people say I'm on the spectrum or my child's on the spectrum, what are they talking about? What does that mean exactly? So when it comes to autism, it's a complex lifelong developmental disability. It typically appears during that early childhood period. It impacts the child's social skills, their communication, their relationships they have with others, and their self-regulation. So in my child, what that looks like is he is a level three, which means he is on the severe end of the spectrum. He needs a lot of support when it comes to his social-emotional relationships. He is nonverbal in terms of his communicational style. And and when it comes to his self-regulation, he is impacted by sensory processing disorder. So he has a lot of time, a lot of difficulty rather regulating himself with regard to sensory input. Sensory input can be anything from the sounds we hear, the smells we smell, the sights we see, um, the sensations we feel between our clothes, our environment. He perceives it all at a very elevated rate. So Mm -hmm. that's the way that he experiences his environment. Mm -hmm. So on your social media, I noticed, and this this is so new to me, it is so cool. You are always doing these sensory bins for him. What does that help with? So when it comes to my sensory bins, my main goal there is to foster the development of play skills. With autism, there's often a deficit when it comes to play skills. Like when it comes to typical neurotypical children, they don't have an issue with developing the ability to play with toys, the ability to play with, you know, elements of their environment. And play is a precursor to learning. So when it comes to my sensory play, I try to create a constructive environment where my son can make a mess but also explore his environment and, you know, creating this environment where he can explore and make his mess and be himself. It fosters not only those play skills, but those fine motor skills that, that typically just present themselves in children. Like more recently, we set up a sensory bin with water beads. So if you can imagine a Tupperware container big enough to hold a Christmas tree, Mm -hmm. water beads, We did that this week and he mastered the skill of scooping and pouring. And while this is a skill that you would expect to see in a one to two-year-old, I was completely ecstatic to see it in my little boy who's five. Mm -hmm. 
It also helps with regulation. Um, a lot of times when it comes to our environments, we don't realize the amount of sensory stimulus that we're taking in. Mm -hmm. And when he has the chance to zero in on something and, and fulfill his sensory needs, he's able to focus, he's able to play, he's able to do those things that come more naturally to our neurotypical children. Okay. I did see that sensory bin. It was so cool. I wanted to play with it. <laughs> I would love to make one for Lucas. Yes. Do you come up with these ideas on your own for those sensory bins or do you get them offline? I'm going to be honest. I'm in so many different sensory play and autism support groups. I steal most of my ideas from online, but I mm -hmm. cater a lot of them to where my son is. He has mm -hmm. tile aversions, meaning that he is avoidant of certain sensory stimulus. So things like kinetic sand or sensory sand, that sticky stuff, he is completely averse to. So mm -hmm. I have to meet him where he is and change my flares and, and change the things that I present to him to, to more engage with him. Mm -hmm. If you could tell people one thing that you wanted them to know about autism, what would you tell them? That if you met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Autism presents itself in an entirely different manner from person to person. It's such an interesting disorder. We are a part of many different groups and classes and classrooms with, with other children who are on the spectrum. And it's, it's so mind-blowing to see the different ways in which this disorder presents itself. So, just my main advice is that if you think you're dealing with a developmental delay or autism, you find your support system. There are so many different resources out there between early intervention, the Help Me Grow programs, the you know early childhood development programs that are there to help you. If you think for even a second that you know you are dealing with some type of developmental delay. I would highly urge you to reach out and, and start to formulate those supports because when I tried to do it entirely on my own, I was so overwhelmed and so out of my own element and completely just ineffective at serving my son as his advocate. And then when I connected with those support systems, I became a much more effective advocate. I had so much more support. I had so much more resources for my son. So again, my main piece of advice is if you are dealing with a child with autism, reach out to your local developmental disability board and, and go from there. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I have one more question for you on this topic. As a friend, and I'm sure family members would love to know this as well, how can we as family and friends support someone with autism? So my, my support system is doing their best to understand my child and meet him where he is. And I appreciate that more than anything. But the one thing that really grinds my gears about my support system is when they downplay my child's struggle. Um, like I said, he is on the more severe end of the autism spectrum. So when he's exhibiting behaviors like trying to elope from wherever we are, trying to, you know, escape and run away from us, I 
I need my people to acknowledge that he's having a hard time. Don't pretend like it's not happening. Don't downplay this child's struggles. Don't downplay this parent's struggles because you're not helping anybody. You know, as much as I want the love and the unconditional acceptance, I want people to acknowledge the reality of my child's struggle because not only does it empower me to better support him and empower his system to better support him, but it acknowledges him as he is and it accepts him as he is instead of pretending he's something he's not. So my, again, my advice when it comes to this is meet that child and that parent exactly where they are and don't pretend like it's not happening because instead of instilling that sense of positive positivity that you're hoping to instill in the parent, you're making them feel alienated and alone. So you're okay with people asking questions and how can I help? Um, what does this mean? Learning, you're okay with that? Absolutely. From the, mm -hmm. from the very beginning, I've been okay with people asking questions and trying their best to understand, you know, instead of ignoring the struggles that he is dealing with. Mm -hmm. Okay. I will definitely keep that in mind. I've already learned so much from you on this journey, you know, being your friend and just learning more about autism. And I've learned a lot more today. We are going to have many more conversations, right, on this topic. Kayla wants to bring other moms on with children on the spectrum. And we're going to talk so much more about this. If you have any questions or anything you want us to discuss, you can message us on Instagram at sociallifepod. So let us know what you want to hear. What do you want to know about autism? Do you have any questions? Kayla's open to talking and she wants people to know more. She's learning too. So yeah, hit us up. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Now, Betty, while my child is developmentally about two years old, your mm -hmm. is physically almost two years old. So talk mm -hmm. a little bit about how you navigate, you know, child development and those anxieties that come along with that. Yeah, so Lucas, with him being my first child, I really am just learning, <laughs> you know, as we all are as moms, learning like what is um, normal at this age. I remember when he was, I don't know if he was like four to six months, I can't remember, really little. I was surprised that he seemed like he was bored. Cause you know, they go from being this little newborn who just lays there and sleeps and eats all day. And then he was like awake more and he was looking around like he's bored. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like he can't play with toys yet. Cause he's a baby, but he's bored. So I had to get him like some rattles and his grandmother got him a play mat, things like that. So I am learning every day, like, oh, wow. I didn't know that he should be doing this or, you know, I didn't know you could do that already. This is really fascinating. I'm learning as I go. I pray a lot for him, you know, especially with, I would pray for all my children, but with him being my firstborn, I just want to make sure I'm led by the Lord. And he is revealing things to me that I need to see, or maybe work on in particular with Lucas as an individual. Yeah. What about you? So my first child, 
Jude. I had him when I was 17, a couple weeks shy of graduation, and I was a stickler for all those developmental milestones. I wanted to hit, I wanted him to hit them right on time. If he didn't hit them right on time, you know, there must have been an issue. Um, my firstborn was one of those who actually walked before he crawled. Um, for walking, he was a little butt scooter, so he scooted around on his butt everywhere and definitely took a whole unique route when it came to his mobility. Um, but with that, I've been completely humbled when it comes to my second born. He's on his very own schedule. You know, he does not adhere to any typical milestone schedule. It's different, you know, and, you know, when it comes to that, if you feel like your baby needs some extra help, my, my advice is to definitely reach out and look for those extra resources, whether it be via your pediatrician, you know, the local Help Me Grow early intervention office, or any additional supports within your, your health system. I know personally, I wouldn't have made it this far with my child without these supports. And with regard to these supports, everything is not meant for everybody. So if you find yourself in a particular pattern, whether that be the prescribed developmental milestone schedule, or you find yourself within a resource prescribed to you by a pediatrician or whatever, and it's just not the right fit for you, move on. I think that's the number one lesson my children have taught me so far is again, that everything isn't for everybody. And I've had to learn that one the hard way. So listen to your intuition, listen to your child and definitely respect them where they are at and, and utilize those resources that are available to you. I love that. It's interesting how as moms, we find our kids teaching us stuff and being a parent forces us to get out of our comfort zone for the love of our children and do things that we normally wouldn't. Like when I was pregnant, I was in I did have an OB that I wasn't crazy about. She didn't seem like she really, I don't want to use cared. I'm sure she cared, but you know, she just wasn't, I think the best fit for me. And I stuck it out that whole pregnancy. You know what I mean? Just like, okay, well, like, this is what it is. This is who I have. Um, But yeah, I love that you bring that up. If it's not working, try something else. I'm glad you mentioned the OB provider. My OB that delivered Jude went on a couple months later to call me a customer rather than a patient. And I had to separate. I had to end that that physician-patient relationship because as soon as you think of me as a customer, you don't have my health in mind. I'm so sorry to hear that. (laughs) I have never heard that, like a doctor calling you a customer. Wow. That's terrible. But yeah, I do know what you mean. I have had that, that feeling, you know, in a doctor's office, which is supposed to be a safe, it's a very vulnerable time. And they do sometimes make you feel like you are just another number, you know? Exactly. And that's such an intimate relationship to have, you know, mm-hmm. the doctor that takes care of your sexual and reproductive health, the doctor that, that, you know, helps you birth your baby. You yeah. Know? want to have that sense of trust and that sense of mutual understanding with one another yeah my and you know I think it's my personality too I am not the type to be like well what about this and what about that I mean if I do then I've probably been pushed pretty far even like after my 
I gave birth to Lucas, I think some of my experience, and you can let me know because you've given birth during a different time, given birth during COVID, I think that played a role into, well, I know it did, played a role into some of the different type of experiences I had. For example, after I gave birth in 2020, and I was giving birth like right there at the beginning of lockdown, like right, <laughs> I gave birth in April, 2020, okay? So yeah. mm-hmm. I never went back to the doctor after I gave really? birth. Mm-hmm. Never. I never seen, I mean, I seen her on video chat, but like I was video chatting my OB showing her my C-section scar. Like, does this look okay? And she's like, yeah, it looks fine. Like, isn't that weird? Looking back on it at the, in the moment, I really didn't think too much of it, but like looking back on it, I'm like, wait, what? That's insane. I couldn't imagine giving birth in the time of COVID. So when it came to your doctor's appointments leading up to your birth, what was that like? Leading up to my birth, my Okay, so this is my first baby. I didn't know anything, okay? Like about being pregnant. I had never been pregnant before. I didn't know anything. And I remember I got pregnant in like August, found out in September, and then started going to the doctor. You know, they make you wait like eight weeks or something before you can go. So probably went to the doctor in like September or October. I went to like one or two appointments because, you know, I think the doctor told me you have to schedule. And then time went by, I think like the whole November went by. And I called in December because I kept thinking like, okay, like, when am I supposed to go back to the doctor? And I call and the receptionist was like, you were supposed to come in last month. You're supposed to come in every month in the first trimester. I believe that's how it is, right? And yeah. I'm like, wait, what? My OB never told me that you're supposed to come back. <laughs> she never mentioned that. I had no idea. And then I was, you know, sitting at home. Thankfully, the baby was okay. Thankfully, I was okay. But like, how would I have known? Right. So I called because I was like, I don't know when to come back. And she was like, well, you're supposed to come back every month at this point in the pregnancy. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like birthing in the middle of a global pandemic. Oh, girl, it was weird. I mean, it was my first time giving birth, but I just, you know, so this was at the beginning. Now we have a little more understanding or so we think of COVID. (laughs) I sure hope that you know we do have more of an understanding but this was the the beginning so we went into all went into lockdown like march 2020 right that my baby shower was scheduled for i believe it was march 28th we had to cancel that because this is when we're all, all starting to realize okay this is serious people are dying this is like an actual pandemic um so that i'm like okay whatever you know, that is a small price to pay for your family not getting sick and, you know, everybody trying to be alive still. So April, I was doing May. I remember I was doing May, but I gave birth at the end of April. So it was an emergency C-section. I didn't know I was going to give birth that day. This was like my 38 week appointment. It was virtual. So, um, and at this point, because it was the beginning of COVID, I think they were letting you decide do you want to come in and get checked out or do you want to do virtual appointments? So when I went into the doctors at like 35, 36 weeks, the doctor said something like, and this wasn't my OB, this was another OB because my OB disappeared off the face of the earth. And my, (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was weird. She disappeared. I don't know where she went. All I know is when I would call, they would be like, oh, she's not going to be back until, I think they were telling me like June. 
and I was due in May. And I think they were telling me she was going to be back until like June or something like that. And they didn't say why, you know, and this is the beginning of the pandemic. So in my mind, I'm like, does she have COVID? Is she okay? And so at that point I was like 34, at 34 weeks, I started getting passed around to a bunch of different OBs, like who could ever fit me in. And which was, I found some that I, I, I liked kind of like one I found that I like better. I'm, man, I wish she was my OB the whole time, you know? And I got passed around and on the one I had on this particular day at like 35, 36 weeks, she was like, um, so you can do virtual or you can do it in person, but you've had an, a healthy pregnancy, no complications so far. So she was pretty much saying that she thinks I guess that it would be okay for me to not have any more appointments until it's time to give birth. It was something like that. That didn't sit well in my spirit. You know, the moment you get pregnant and find out that, that mommy intuition kicks in and you start yeah. feeling up and you have a connection to this baby, that didn't sit well with me. I knew I'm like, I don't, I don't really know anything and she's the doctor, but like, I don't feel right about just sitting here and waiting to give birth and not knowing what's going on with him. Like, you know, so I continued virtual appointments. And at that point, I don't know how they do it now. I wonder, they were giving you a fetal Doppler to take home with you and a blood pressure cuff to check your blood pressure and check on the baby with the fetal Doppler, the heart rate. Um, you could go pick it up at the clinic. So I took that home and that is actually how I ended up in an emergency C-section because on that 38 week appointment, I um, noticed that my blood pressure was high. Yeah. based on the blood pressure cuff and the baby's heart rate was high and I was panicking I, I, I was waiting for my husband to get off work and you know as a first time mom I'm like okay am I freaking out am I just working myself up over nothing is this a real concern it turned out being a real concern that's why I had to give birth to him the next day um so they the doctor wind up sending me in because my blood pressure was high I think my blood pressure was just high because I was worried about the baby I went in Long story short, one thing led to another. I ended up in labor and delivery, gave birth. The reason why Lucas' um, heart rate was so high is because he was wrapped up really tight, like three or four times in his umbilical cord and um, around his stomach, I guess. And oh yeah, I know the nurse was like, I've been working here seven years and I've never seen that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so can you imagine if I had listened to that doctor and just decided to, you know, she didn't tell me to, she like suggested it, I believe, but like, I'm so glad I followed my mom intuition. Cause that I feel like made the difference of him being alive today. I'm so glad you did too. That's insane. I never knew it was like that during the pandemic. Oh yeah. And then when we went into labor and delivery, you know, we could have given birth to him sooner probably, but we had to get a COVID test <gasps> April, 2020. Okay, we had to get a COVID test. My husband didn't, I did. And then we had to wait an hour in the room while us and the nurse, we couldn't leave the room. We had to quarantine in the room for an hour until the results came back. And then after the results came back, then they was like, okay, like we think that you should get a C-section. <laughs> it was really weird. My mom, the only person that could be there was my husband, but my mom, my sisters, I had daydreamed about them being there and, me, and nobody could come. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. But I'm at the end of the day, I'm just like, hey, I'm glad that we have what we came here for, which is our healthy baby. Yes, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you had that intuition 
pulled through that and you knew, you knew what to do. Yes, it's interesting how that happens. We're glad everything worked out. Praise God that we're all healthy and alive and surviving COVID still two years later. But since you have more than one child, I've asked many people this question and I kind of get mixed answers. Does every parent have a favorite child? I love this question because honestly, I think so. <laughs> and okay. people don't admit it, here's why. I have a favorite child for different reasons. Like my favorite child to talk to, my favorite child to reflect on the world with, joke and be silly with, it's Jude, uh-huh. my firstborn. But who am I closer with? Who gets most of my time and my energy? My youngest. Uh-huh. While I love them both equally as their mom, I do love each of them for different reasons because there's they're two very different people. And uh-huh. I think even growing up being the middle child, I think my mom had her favorite children, like during different seasons of her life, you know, which one of us was the favorite. Uh-huh. So you think that the favorite can change? Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's a whole other aspect too. Like, I agree. I do think that the favorite can change over time. I have a theory of my own theory. I have noticed when people say, oh, this kid is the favorite or that kid is the favorite. In my experience, it's usually the kid that has the most similar personality to that parent. So I've always noticed that the parents tend to favor it. This is not a scientific proven thing. This is just my own opinion. But I feel like the parents tend to favor the child that they can relate to the most. I would agree with that. And I think I even experienced that when I was like an adolescent with my my mom treated me a lot like a best friend. And I think it was because we were so similar in personality. And, you know, I see that with Jude too. Mm -hmm. In the same aspect with that similar personalities, I also think I'm a little bit harder on Jude because he does have my personality and I do know what comes with that. And I do want him to be great and not fall due to those shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. Do you feel like Jude has that same like social work heart as you do? I do. He actually wants to be a lawyer. He was mm-hmm. in criminal law with me in the car yesterday and my mind was just completely blown. He was like, mm-hmm. what do I do when I'm defending a client who I know is guilty? And <laughs> we had a whole conversation about that, about how it's important to uphold people's rights and how every person in the, the country is entitled to certain rights. And he's so fair. He has such an, an inherent sense of what is right and what is wrong. I look forward to seeing the, the young man he becomes. Now, I don't know if I could see him becoming a social worker, but I could definitely see him working in some type of realm with serving people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I've seen those books. I think it was for Christmas that you got them on social media. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool that he's thinking about these type of topics at such a young age. I agree. I was completely mind blown when he asked me for these books. He actually Mm -hmm. made a list for me. He went to the website that had this this series on it and he made a list for me about which ones he wanted. And I got exactly those and his appetite for those nonfiction social topics 
just amazes me every day. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Yeah, I love that. Maybe you can share that on our Instagram page. So if anybody else has any kids interested in like those type of service, um, understanding other people, empathy, I feel like very empathetic type knowledge to gain, maybe they might like that. They will. Absolutely. I'll share the series on our Instagram page. That's where you can find it. Okay. Thank you. I agree. I do think every parent has a favorite, even if they say that I don't have a favorite. I think they're just saying that to be nice because you should say that, I guess. But <laughs> I, like, I only have one kid. I don't have a favorite. I mean, he is everybody's favorite because he's the only one. But yeah, I definitely think that. I've heard people say, though, no, my parents didn't have a favorite. And then I think, okay, you must have been the favorite then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know. We'll post this on our social media does every parent have a favorite we should take a poll on our stories and see what let's do it I want to okay. know what other people's experience is with this mm-hmm. yeah I agree I feel like most people are going to say yeah my sister was the favorite or my brother and then all those people who were the favorite are going to say no that wasn't the thing in my family <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah but I have had so much fun chatting with you again today. Me too, Betty. It's always a pleasure. And thank you all for joining us on the social life.